Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game rules by Chaos. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc., that may bear resemblance to entities living or dead, is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Diamond, and for tonight's game, I will be your keeper. Thank you for joining us again on another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I am your keeper, Keeper Michael, and I have a special episode for you tonight. We have with us our erstwhile companion, our our missing investigator. I'm not missing. I know where I am. They just don't. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that is the voice uh, of Lonnie, who plays Mr. Forsyth. Uh, And he is joining us this evening for his spotlight episode and maybe give him a chance to figure out where he is and what he's doing. I'm glad to be here right at this particular moment. That may change. (laughs) Oh, it most certainly will. So we're going to raise the curtain on the RMS Aquitania. Um, Mr. Forsyth recently excused himself from um, a gathering, uh, a breakfast uh, with his uh, fellow investigators and has gone to a forward section of the Aquitania to observe and possibly play chess. This area of uh, the parlor, as they call it here, is sectioned into two distinct areas. One on the left is a place where uh, games of chance and uh, more professional card games are played. Um, So this isn't the -the run-of-the-mill place where you would do... Um, you know, poker or whatnot. This is... Um, no, this would be Baccarat. This would be uh, Bridge. Yep. So there's a, there's a lot of proper games going on here. To the right, you see uh, other games. So uh, chess, uh, perhaps backgammon. Uh, likely there's other board-based games. And this is this crowd that's in here is a good mixture, actually. Uh, so most of the ship for you has been, quite frankly, a little too uh, upper crust. Your background is much more uh, earthen-based. You're you're much more of a, a skilled tradesman than, say, uh, a railroad tycoon or a newspaper owner. I, sir, am not a foppish socialite. <laughs> I am a, I am possessed of the manly virtues, as our president uh, Roosevelt would have said. Yes, absolutely. You do see quite a few people who feel like, or seem like, they're of your ilk. You feel a lot of camaraderie in this room. And it draws you to the places where the people are playing chess or people are playing other board games. You spend a little while that uh, mid-morning and into the afternoon observing people play. And just from your time doing that, you eventually get invited to sit with the several other people who are collected around this uh, group of two or three tables of people playing. And there's banter and commentary, but all in all in a, in a pretty respectful manner. Kibitzing, uh, the technical term, yes. Yeah. So you spend a few hours there, and it's probably, it gets on to, say, about three or four o'clock in the afternoon. And it's at that point where you get an offer from um, one of the gentlemen who's who's been playing for a while to uh, not so much take over his spot, but the table opens up if you'd like to play. I, I would. I would. Okay. You sit down and you play with another a gentleman who joins the table. Um, uh, he introduces himself as uh, Reginald. He, uh, you can tell from the accent he hails from somewhere in the south. There's a bit of a drawl to him. Reginald, sir? Yes, sir. It's uh, my pleasure. Uh, Lawrence. Uh, wonderful, wonderful. He shakes your hand. So uh, what brings you on board? I and some compatriots have some business in London. We have, we have uh, personal inquiries. And... We uh, plan on visiting some of the museums as well. It's a bit of mixing bits and some pleasure. How about yourself? Uh, what brings you on the board? 
Oh, it's just a short stop before I uh, head to uh, Italy. We have some dealings. Uh, the, the business uh, I work for has some dealings in Italy, and they've asked for me to come over to look at one of their machines. It seems the uh, Italians can't seem to make a proper machine. They need one of us to do it. <laughs> American ingenuity. That is what they say. Uh, the two of you go back and forth a little bit. The banter's friendly. Uh, Reginald is a fair chess player. While he's um, engaging and he has uh, a fair amount of tactical moves to him, um, he isn't what you would say a, a top-tier player would need. And so... No. Well, neither am I, so... No, but you manage to move the board to your favor probably in about a half an hour to 45 minutes. And it's at that point that the game gets pretty quick. He eventually um, bows out gracefully and says that he's going to uh, retire to the dining room. Uh, but uh, if you're still here when he gets back, he'd love a rematch. It would be an honor if I if I last that long. Unfortunately, um, my back is a little... I've been sitting in a chair for a while, so... Um, <laughs> I, I I took a wound before I uh, came on oh. uh, a fall, and uh, I haven't been able to sit right for a while now. I have uh, my friend Dr. Tottenbach looking at it, but uh, hmm. he says it'll be a while before I'm back in in full form. Hmm. Well, I I do hope you recover quickly, sir. He uh, tips you, his sir. hat to you. Mm-hmm. You um you kind of collect uh, a bit and and look around to see if anybody's uh, anybody else is waiting on the table. Uh, it's at that point a uh, relatively shorter man with a slicked back hair walks up to the table. Uh, he's carrying a cat in one arm and he uh, looks over the table and looks at you and says, good afternoon. May I sit down? Good afternoon. Of course. He sits down. Uh, he takes the cat and places it on the floor by him. The cat seems to hiss a few times, but it stays where it's at. Hisses at him. At him. Yep. That's odd. Make a spot roll, would you? Make a spot hidden roll. Uh, yeah, hard success. Fourteen under forty-five. You notice that this man with the cat seems to have several scratches on his hand and his arm. And even there appears to be a couple of scratches, cat scratches, cat claw scratches, under his chin. Uh, but he sits down uh, as if they're no pain at all. Um, he doesn't seem to be... It's not like the, they're not oozing wounds, but you can definitely see the, the red lines for sure. Yes, yes. So, shall we play a game? Absolutely. Shall you have the white or the black? Oh, well, either is fine with me, but uh, if you have no preference, black is what I'd prefer. As you wish. He sets up his pieces. Mm-hmm. So, I see you've been watching it rather intently, this chess area, and you finally have managed to get a table. Yes, it's it's uh, rather crowded. I, I don't... Uh, I, I understand it, but uh, it can be kind of frustrating to, to wait unless... Uh, you're, you can enjoy the spectacle rather than um, the actual play. Mm, indeed. He sets a book down to his left. It looks like a, a reading book. Uh, is there a title on it? Can there I is. A title? What's the title? The title says The Imperial Dynasty of America. I say nothing, but that's strange. <laughs> yeah, you've never heard of the book before. Yeah, that's a... Uh... Well, uh, please, he gestures to the table. Okay, I, I begin moving. What's this cat doing? His cat seems to be pretty much just holding position near his foot. I see your friend is, is well-trained. Well, it may prefer others to myself. You, he moved his hand as if to show you some of the scratch marks, but it still remembers who feeds it. It doesn't like the ship. I understand. I have I have uh, friends who uh, do not like the motion either. Hmm. Yes. So you're here with friends, then? 
Uh, yes, sir. sir. Uh, by the way, I'm afraid I didn't get your name. Uh, it was uh, quite rude there. He extends his hand. Wild, Mr. Wild. Pleasure, Mr. Wild. I'm, uh, my name is uh, Edward, Edward Forsyth. Indeed. I saw you in the first class dining area, yes? Uh, I, I had the privilege, uh, yes. Yes, yes. I, I couldn't miss at the table with Miss Lane. Yes, yes. Miss Lane, an interesting woman. <laughs> you know her well. Uh, I know her. We have mutual acquaintances. She's a rather uh, modern woman. <laughs> he gives you a, a knowing smile. <laughs> Indeed, she is a very modern woman. I think that's a wonderful way of putting it. But uh, all things change in time, I, I think. Although perhaps maybe some things shouldn't. He moves a piece. Consider the board, and I see... Um... I'm a man of progress, but uh, I'm not quite sure all progress is progress. If if you take my meaning. I do. I do indeed. In fact, there is progress yet to be made. He gives you um, a bit of a smile and then he raises his hand and you see the uh, attendant come over and he says, uh, perhaps just a small bit of your finest whiskey. And for you, sir? Um, I shall have, I think a, a simple gin and tonic will do, will do fine. Thank you. The uh, attendant steps away. So, Miss Lane is uh, going to London then on business? Yes, uh, some sort of business involving uh, um, some personal matters. Mm, personal matters, yes. Yes, you know... A woman of her, if I might say so, lineage is good to have a group of friends around during such travels. You try and support other people in your endeavors? Mm. I do. It's actually my line of work. Really? Yes. What kinds of endeavors? Oh, uh, I'm in the business of correcting social and political records. That sounds interesting. I wouldn't know what that, how to uh, begin to understand what that is, to be honest. Simply put, it is a, there are members of society who are in need of services to make sure that the world and those within the political halls of various nations uh, come to understand what the correct record and reputation someone should have. Those people seek me out and I correct that record. I repair those broken or tarnished reputations. I see. I imagine, um, given some of the... Uh people I've been exposed to in my lifetime that there's quite a bit of business for that sort of thing. Oh, there's quite a bit of business on this ship if uh, if you take my meaning, sir. I, I have enough problems with my own personal dealings to worry too much about the uh, issues of the well-to-do or the uh, political. Hmm. Your, um, your beverages come. You would be surprised how damaging the wrong information can be, politically speaking. I can imagine uh, being caught in a perilous circumstance or to be uh, associated with the wrong people. Well, it's not just that, but since, uh, if you would allow me to be as bold, take, for instance, your, your friend, Miss Lane. I assume that you are friends. If that's incorrect, please correct the record. I don't know that I would say friends. We are certainly we are certainly uh, acquaintances. We uh, certainly have, but uh, uh, friends are. I doubt that a woman of her social standing would have very many friends of my social standing. If you take my meaning, I do. I see your seems to almost look you over for a moment. I see you've done work 
I think that there is nothing that is negative about that, that our great nation was built by men like you who were willing to do the work. This is true. So I, so I have a deep respect for that, but I, I must tell you, your associate, Miss Lane, her reputation will be in dire need of repairing soon. She is a, uh, from what I observed in my acquaintance with her, she uh, is a very impulsive soul. Uh, ladies with impulses uh, tend to make incorrect decisions with their lives, I think. Lonnie, why don't you give me a... I mean, your edu and education is the same. Yeah. So why don't you give me either one is fine. I will give you... I will give you an intelligence roll. I have failed that. 81 out of 55. <laughs> I'm not bright enough to know what he's saying. <laughs> the game, It's not what he's saying. It's the game. The yeah. game goes on for some time, and it really isn't until you realize that it's gone on for some time that you realize Mr. Wilde is toying with you. He has you beat, and it isn't, it's really only up until the moment that he beats you that you realize that he simply is just enjoying the conversation. He's barely paying attention to the match at all, really. But yet he's destroying me. Yeah. It's sport. I am thoroughly impressed, and I uh, congratulate him on his uh, obvious skill. I wonder if you might join me for a cigar on deck. It would be uh, an honor. I may not be able to stay long. My back is... Oh no, I understand. The two of you exit out. It's it's gotten a little late by your calculation, although the time here with the overcast clouds is a little difficult. Uh, and you sit at midship and and have a cigar. The two of you talk he seems to be a very a bit strange but a very affable gentleman the cigar smoke doesn't really please the cat very much but the cat just kind of persists with uh with him under arm uh, he impresses upon you that he feels that it's very critical for you to be prepared for miss lane to do something outlandish and that he's very concerned that if she's not kept from doing it she could ruin her future. I fully understand his reticence. She's a headstrong woman. She's entirely too enamored of the current permissive society. She has a tendency to uh, do things first and then think later. Whereas for myself, I'm an engineer. You, you measure twice and cut once. She's very much a cut and then if it doesn't fit well, move on to the next. I certainly, if, if you suggest that it's a good idea for me to, uh, shall we say, uh, watch over her and uh, help her to prevent her womanly mind from leading her to obvious errors, I will be more than happy to. Well, I do appreciate your understanding on this uh, somewhat sensitive issue, Mr. Forsyth. I will make a note. He opens the book. I will make a note here in my book that you've been most helpful. Allow me to ask, you know quite a bit about Miss Lane and her future intentions. Could you give me an idea of the nature of what it is I'll be looking for? I think we both know that Miss Lane is part of the class of society that deserves what it gets. And I say that with, again, all due respect to her family's powerful and important position in American society. But if she is truly to take the next step into what will become America's future, then she should be careful of her um, social levity. She is perhaps at this point uh, too European, if you get my meaning. I do. Very well. He uh, finishes his cigar and bids you good evening and says, I apologize for keeping you so late. He looks down at his watch and when he opens his pocket watch up, uh, you see that it's near midnight. No, it was it was quite the stimulating conversation and I was very pleased to meet you, Mr. Wilde. Have a good night, sir. Perhaps we'll have another game soon. Perhaps we will. I'll have to uh, try better this time. 
I have faith in you. And away I go back to bed. <laughs> yep. You head back to bed. Uh, you settle in. And you uh, are able to relax. The sitting and all of the uh, and all the chest uh, matches didn't necessarily do your lower back very well, but you do manage to doss down for the night and uh, relax your way uh, towards sleep. As you're drifting off to bed, you get the feeling that there's either something going outside on outside the window. Or there's just a a noise your brain begins to pick up on. And it almost feels like a... There's some sort of metal-on-metal noise. And it's slow at first. And then it seems to get just a bit louder. It kind of sounds like somebody dragging something, maybe? Um, It sounds more like, to your fairly well-trained ear as far as uh, mechanics go... It almost sounds like metal being flexed. That's a strange noise on the top deck. Make me a spot hidden roll. Sure. Failed that. 57 out of 45. (laughs) It's not what you hear or see, but you begin to pick up a relatively sweet smell in the air. It's it's strange. It, It doesn't fit with the salt air of the Atlantic. It doesn't fit with the boat and the mahogany and the leather that's uh, around here and all of the other uh, scents of the area you you begin to pick it up and then you start smelling something almost woodsy you don't know where it's coming from I get up okay because I can't sleep like this with noise with the noise and you know the noise that isn't the sea and the ocean. It's outside noises, and there's strange smells, and I, I'm a, li- a bit paranoid because, well, everything that's happened since um, Chicago. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to turn on the lights. Okay. Uh, you get up, and you begin to walk towards the lamp that's on the table near the bed. Yeah. Uh, it's not completely within reach, uh, given where the bed is positioned, but... Uh, you get up and you go to reach for the light and you realize as you reach for the light you begin to smell something almost acrid in the air. And out of the corner of your eye you see a bit of this dark smoke that seems to be coming from behind your headboard. I uh, definitely turn on the light now because if there's a fire I need to uh, alert someone. (laughs) Sure. You click the light and when you turn the light on What you see is that trailing edge, that little roll of smoke that's above your bed frame, the headboard. Above it, above that headboard, that smoke trail grows, has grown to an enormous size. And it's almost something uh, otherworldly. It has encompassed the entire space above your bed. And a strange and and alien pair of eyes sit in that smoke. I think I'd like to make a sanity roll right now. You are absolutely going to make one, yes. Hey, success! 29 versus 49. Very good. Okay. So, Lawrence will lose two points of sanity on a successful roll. Mm -hmm. This is shocking, and uh, it, it stops you cold in your tracks. And the eyes stare down at you, surrounded by this massive cloud for just a moment, a few heartbeats. You can feel them in your chest, thump, thump. And it's at that point, this cloud envelops you. Oh, jeez. It wraps around your head and wraps around your stomach. Suddenly you feel your body lift off the deck and little tiny granules, almost feels like sand, begin to crawl along your arms and up your shoulders. And then you start feeling them in your mouth and your nose. I struggle to break out of this. Yeah, you can go totally make a strength roll if you'd like. Sure. It's a success. 42 out of 60. You struggle. 
and you fight your way back to the bed because it's the closest thing that you can grab onto. Right. Uh, so that way you're not floating in midair. The cloud of this blackened sand and dust lifts you and pulls your fingers one by one away from the bed frame and slams you up against the wall. It's at this point, your arms, as you look down at them, begin to seize. This black sand has crept along your forearms, and you can see that it's going down towards your fingers. And as this sand rings around your arms, you see the trail behind it. But what is remains after it is gone is empty air. And over the next few moments, you slowly and rather painfully evaporate into thin air. I assume that's an Arsana check. Yeah, absolutely. That is an extreme success. Seven versus 47. Very good. Okay. What I'll do on an extreme success, given that it's a sand roll, is I will only have you lose two more points of sanity for that. One more and I would have picked up something. Yes, you would have. (laughs) Your perceptions go dark. And it isn't until an indeterminable amount of time later that you find yourself sitting in a grass field tucked between two really large stones, flagstones that are sitting in this field somewhere. It's an overcast day, uh, but the environment around you looks, uh, well, quite frankly, it looks alien. The trees don't look the same. While the grass looks like grass, there are birds flying in the sky that you can't name. You hear creatures calling and sounds that are altogether strange and quite frankly, a little concerning. You don't see any wildlife so much around you, at least as far as you can see, but your body and your clothes seem to be all here. Your, your memories of being evaporated are slowly beginning to pick their way back into your consciousness. And all I see is this field. Well, you're sitting in a field. So by turning around, which, of course, I imagine reflexively you're going to do. Yeah, I'm looking um, around at everything. You look around, and about 10 or so feet behind you, you see a a man. Not so much broad, but tall for sure. And he has a relatively strange selection of clothes. They seem to be, if you didn't know any better, you you would say that they're maybe Turkish or Arabic in some regard. Lots of free-flowing fabrics, multiple colors. He has a walking stick. Uh, You say tall. Is, is is he tall like uh, the people who gave me the stone? Not that tall, but um, but he's tall. The, those folks were uh, well over nine feet tall. They're, those are very they're very tall. His skin is a bit bronzed, as if he's been out in the sun quite a bit. He uh, acknowledges you with a nod. You've made it. Ah, uh, where am I? Oh, well, you've returned to the land of dreams. Of course, gives you a. Um, a look over. You seem to have made your transition well enough. I... How? Oh, how, yes. Let me start at the beginning. If My name is Argus. I am Argus the Elder. Your stone called to me. It showed me where to find you. Was it you that, that took me away from... Oh, from the land of... Uh, what, what do you call it? Uh, Terra, uh, Earth, yes. Yes, the uh, that plane. I I had to speak with you, and this was the quickest way. Come. You couldn't have asked? Oh, no. No, deep magics uh, don't work like that. His face is adorned with uh, multicolored paint. He seems to have some almost a... As if paint has been tattooed into parts of his cheeks and under his eyes. There's no time to waste, Forsyth. You see him step down from this uh, part in the grassy field, and he begins moving towards uh, an open section of the grasslands, which seems to point towards uh, a couple of uh, small grouping of trees. What are we talking about? You. 
We're talking about you and your friends. We're going to give you clarity. Come. It's not far. I start walking, because what else do I have to do? I can't exactly go home yet. You catch up with Argus. Uh, he's, he slows his pace just a little bit. He's not um, what you would call an, uh, an ancient, but he's probably in his mid-50s, at least by the, his appearance. And he's taller than me, so he probably strides longer. Just a bit, yeah. Your, uh, your stone, that was quite the gift. It made it easy to find you. You know the people who gave it to me? The Watchers? Yes. I mean, I I know of them. I have never spoken with them directly. I came to this world in a different way. Then how did you know I had a stone? And how to track it? He uh, goes into his many folded robes and brings out a, a book. It's in a relatively strange language. It looks more like pictographs than it does words. He opens the book up and then shows you a couple of pages. He flips through a couple of pages and then shows shows it to you. You see here? He runs his fingers along several different pictographs. You see on one of the pictographs, there is actually a an actual drawing, of a picture of one of the stones. It doesn't look like yours. It looks actually more like Miss O'Shea's. This uh, working here shows how to track the stones. I simply reached out to the great beyond and attempted to contact the closest one, and you happen to be it. What are the stones? They are the stones of Sarnath. It's walking again. The stones come from an ancient city, a doomed city called Sarnath. Have you heard the tale of Sarnath? I have not. Oh, well, allow me to enlighten you. Perhaps several thousands of years of your years ago, a race of people came to a section of the dreamlands here and they settled on the banks of a river in a land called Nanar. This land was where they began forming several cities, small at first, but then they began to grow larger. At one point, several of these people, these shepherd people, split off from their main settlements because they craved more land. They migrated into another's land and they began to aggressively expand and take it over. When they did, they encountered a ancient people, one that had lived in the lands for many years. These strange people inhabited a city called Ib. And so the people who would come to rule and live in the city called Sarnath put the people of Ib to the sword. They killed the people, the livestock, the children. They wiped them out. They took the city of Ib, each of its gray stones, brick by brick, and dismantled it. They found the center focus for them, their god. They worshipped a being known as Bokrug, and when those that came from Sarnath, when they found this idol, this being, they took it. They brought it into their city. This idol, this massive idol at one point, was adorned with several crystals. Blood red, blue, orange. These crystals were believed to have mystical powers. The um, essence of the dreamlands itself. And many were stolen. That crystal you have is one of them. Unfortunately for the people of Sarnath, the price they had to pay came to toll centuries later. When one day, doom came for them. It came from the lake and destroyed everything in Sarnath. What you have and what your compatriots have because of your giving nature is quite powerful. More powerful here than it would be on your earth, but... I checked my breast pocket. Is my stone there? Yeah, it's there. Still glowing, 
glowing a bit more than usual. It's uh, more of a magenta color at this point. Because I'm pretty sure I didn't have it on myself when I was sleeping. You see, Forsyth, the stone there, it bears several powers. It strengthens your body and mind. Perhaps even gives you a bit of kismet along the way. But here, its power is tenfold. When you're ready, you'll be able to walk home. When I'm ready. When you're ready. We have much to discuss first, though. The stones that you've handed out are not meant for human consumption. Do you know what I mean? They are not meant to be handled by the race of man. Why would the Watchers give me these? Oh, the, the Watchers gave them to you because they knew you had no hope without them. You see, the stones themselves carry enough power to saturate every part of your being with their energy. I must warn you, if they're held onto for too long, they could become dangerous to you. How will I know when the time is to get rid of them? They will grow warm consistently. They will never cool. Once they no longer cool, as a warm stone might if it was taken out of the sun, you should put them down forever. He walks you into this grove of trees. You see at this point, there is a small opening inside these uh, these trees. Uh, the trees are tall with uh, very much an evergreen style uh, needle to them. Except the needles here are thicker and much more pronounced than you're used to, uh, than you'd seen in uh, any of your time in the Northwoods, like Arkham, etc. Almost like thistles. Yeah, except very pronounced. In the middle of this grove, there is a creature. You see a winged creature here uh, with a long, almost goose-like neck and whose face there protrudes a very long and pointed bill. It seems amiable almost to him. When it sees Argus come closer, it moves towards him and seems to, almost like a friendly goose, it seems to stoop its neck. But this creature is 15 feet tall. It's much larger than you originally would have seen because it, when it was hunkered down, it seemed to be hiding its form. Uh, Sanjay. No, you don't need one. Really? Okay. Your brain is telling yourself that it is simply a dream, that this can't possibly be real. It walks over, almost toddles over like a, a swan or a duck, and uh, it bows its head to him, and he seems to almost pet it. Ah, yes. Come, Forsyth. Meet my companion. Ah, forgive me, Argus, but uh, he's rather large. (laughs) Oh, come now. You you can't fear this creature. It's just a dream. It's just a dream. I approach slowly. Approach. Uh, It curls its neck towards you. You see uh, eyes on either side of it. They're they're a bit lizard-like over to you and I'm more interested in the teeth it, it doesn't seem to have uh, a sh- big sharp teeth it, when you see its mouth open it looks a lot more like like a goose so it has a lot of teeth but they're they're pretty small um, Azerth won't hurt you he's uh, a companion of mine it reach its bill out and and not nibble on you but it seems to try to um, you can see the nostrils on the end of the bill flare a bit as it tries to smell you. It smells you up, which is a little uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, I flinch. I flinch visibly. It seems to smell you until it smells the stone, and then it seems to kind of hone in on it. And it smells that a little bit longer, and then uh, Argus shoes him a bit. Oh, back up. Back up. Give him some space. I have lived in these lands for centuries. Centuries. I don't even remember what uh, your home, Earth, is like anymore. You came from Earth? I think so, yes. Yes, at one time. You see, that this book, he takes it out, with the stone in it, these uh, incantations. I have been studying them for years. I'm a a merchant of information of sorts. I ply my trade here and there. I 
make sure that uh, we stay fed and I act as a counselor to kings, queens, and uh, many beings of this land. Ah. What sort of counsel? Mystical. The arts, as they call them here. These lands are not the same as they once were. Even now, things are changing. Uh, Many strange and terrifying things have begun to happen here, begun to show themselves here. In a land far to the east, near the uh, Twilight Sea, uh, Asu, the nation there, there is a thinning of the veil between our lands and yours. My plan is to travel to that land and investigate the matters further. I would implore you to continue your own journey. I, I don't understand what this has to do with, with my own journey. All right. Perhaps the Watchers did not explain it. That there was a creature, a being beyond the veils of these lands and your lands that were seeking to corrupt and destroy humanity. They did say that. You'll forgive me. It was, it seems a very long time ago. These matters have not changed, Forsyth. This being still works hard, still tries. Uh, you, you must have seen other signs that, that he was trying to disrupt the cycle of humanity with his own corrupted plans. I've, I've seen things. I don't know what those things are. I'm, I, I, I can see things, but I don't see, I don't see, I don't see plans. I don't see, I see things in front of me. I see strange things that large, dark beings that tear men in half. I've seen large things in, in wells with faces all over their, their bodies, things that can't be real. They can't, they can't exist, but yet they, they, they do exist. And they are real. That is what you must come to terms with. You and your companions on this grand journey must come to the realization that they are real and they very much want to stop you from stopping their master. Who is their master? He is a man who comes from the great beyond. Even to call him a man, perhaps, is a farce. It is a a being of many names and many faces. Some might call him the crawling chaos. Others might say he is a a faceless god, a stalker among the stars, the god of a thousand forms. Some might even be too frightened to speak his name, that dweller in the darkness. Ah. None of these uh, mean... Wait, have I heard the term crawling chaos? It's most likely that Maeve has read it in a book rather than Forsyth has been exposed to it personally. Right. I've heard him called Atu as well. It is said he has a thousand forms, that he is immortal, invulnerable, incapable of moving from plane of existence to another. He is... The terror that waits behind men's eyes when they sleep. How do you defeat something like that? It is my understanding, after centuries of study, that as powerful as this being is, their power on Earth must be infused into other creatures or beings. They are not allowed to transverse the great beyond and arrive on the plane of existence that you would call Earth. They cannot physically walk there. To do so would be a a calamity for this place. So what do I have to do? It is my belief that the path that you are currently on is the right one. You must stay steadfast in your commitment to this goal, this search. You will uncover many things along the way, I believe, including perhaps what this being, Atu, their real motive is, or their method. You encountered a being of, a creature of darkness? I don't pretend to understand any of this. 
do the right thing and educate yourself? How did you come to dig the Great Divide? You must have learned somewhere, yes? Yes. And That's work of the hands. That's work of the body. And it's time to work your mind. All this is, this great and terrifying situation is simply a puzzle. You must put the pieces together and solve it. Lawrence is quickly running out of words. Yeah, he gives you a reassuring pat on the shoulder. Almost a a fatherly, it's okay, fuck up. It's what your... It's it's what you're what you've been raised to do, right? Take these difficult situations and find a way to make sense out of what seems to be chaos. It might be difficult, but it is the right thing to do. Now, I am going to investigate the lands of Asu. I truly hope you will soldier on in your tasks and do not tarry for every moment that you spend is a moment this being gets closer to whatever it is it's planning. I will, uh, I'll do my best. I truly hope so. You will need to focus your way home. The stone can be your guide. He, uh, gets on the back of this great winged lizard. Focus on the stone. Return yourself to your ship. This thing reaches out and bats its wings. And it, you feel the air around you move as it springs up into the air. And they fly away. I look up at them until I can't see them. You watch them fly. And they coast for a little while. And then as you watch them dip, they, they head east. They almost seem to head almost due east, pointed right at the sun. And... You realize you're again alone in this circle, this grove of trees, and there is a flagstone here. I look at the flagstone. Uh, The flagstone has a fairly intricate sigil on it. So you see a circle that's been carved into this rock, and inside the circle, a series of lines. They seem to go every which way. And after moving around a bit to try to get a better look at what this thing is you realize that there is a star pattern in here except there appears to be another pattern overlaid it's almost as if there are more lines on this star pattern than there should be some are erratic some curve off into different areas At first it makes sense, and then it doesn't, and then it goes back to making sense. You seem to have multiple different ways to look at this image. And every time you turn your head or move your body around this wide stone, you see a different shape. Like a kaleidoscope. Almost, yes. Yes, and it's at that point that you notice that what's been carved into the stone isn't just etched out stone, they've actually left uh, some sort of filler in the lines as if someone filled in the lines with something else, either some other type of dirt or maybe it's a strange dried grass or moss, but there's definitely something in there. I reach out and I touch the moss, dirt, whatever it is. You touch it, you get a smell from it, uh, almost uh, a sweet smell, a woodsy smell. And your brain starts triggering on a memory from your stateroom in the boat. Yeah. And you feel the stone that you have get really warm. uh, Almost blast furnace warm. And you start seeing this image of your stateroom. You see it in one of the small openings inside this kaleidoscope of lines you see your stateroom you see your bed you see the Aquitania that you left I reach out to it make a power roll this ought to be good 
That is a failure, sir. 90 over 40. You reach out to it. When you reach out to it, you feel pure energy and electricity take hold of your hand. Almost as if uh, you've grabbed a, a power cable to a heavy piece of machinery. And that power cable and that surge of electricity runs up your arm and into your elbow and then from your elbow all the way to the left part of your collarbone. And you feel your body shake. And then you uh, begin falling forward, almost as if the whole world has paused and you can't you don't have control over your muscles you you begin to collapse forward into the kaleidoscope as it turns as the image turns left and then continues to go left and the lines twist and blur in a circular pattern and you tumble forward it's at that point that the world around you becomes a living kaleidoscope with lines and colors and shapes from every direction. They push themselves into your being. You feel yourself at one point flatten out and become a line. And you roll around the outside of this great kaleidoscope. And you can hear your voice trail off into the distance. And the stateroom arrives in your vision of small pinprick and gets larger and larger and larger. And just when you feel it completely encompass your vision, you land hard onto your bed. Ow. And you realize that the light is on and then it is off. And the bed under you has been made and you see in your vision up the wall a a scar almost of this black material that same material that you were before you left the stateroom I'm not touching it you're not no um... you are in a ton of physical and mental pain yeah did i take any damage from that fall no you don't take any damage from it what you do do is seize up a little bit you you can't seem to move you have just enough energy to roll over and in a complete wave of exhaustion fall asleep and that is where i will leave you for this evening and so I, I hope you've all enjoyed uh, Lawrence's trip. Uh, he did make it back. At least we think he did. And you'll have a chance to pick it up uh, and see what happens next week. So thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure everything's fine. I'm sure it's totally fine. There's nothing to worry about. People travel into the great beyond all the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Some of them even make it back in one piece. It's, it's really amazing. Some of them. Have a good night, everybody. 